like death. I like death with sex. How about you, Casey? You like sex with death? Yeah, so fuck off and die. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all in fright. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Detective. Hey guys, and welcome to Betrothed, a couple's guide to genre film. I'm your host Chris, and with me, as always, I'm Katie. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a week, man. It's another been, week in. Uh, it's been another foggy week in, in the quarantiverse. In the quarantiverse that is uh, spinning in a. Uh, Spinning, huh? Yeah, it's like spinning in like an infinity, you know, because we're just like stuck in this loop. But I imagine that it's a figure eight. Like, the But Texas is home. open for business now, Katie. Sure, yeah. That's not going to backfire on everybody. No, masks in public because that, you know, helps. Yeah. You know, a bandana about as thick as your t-shirt. Yeah, well, we totally it helps. does actually help. A little. However, the point that... The point I'm making is that we shouldn't be opening the state no, anyway. So. we're not ready. We're not no. ready. So it's been a, an interesting week uh, for me yeah, good times. with work, but I've been consuming a lot of content this week, trying to uh, find ways to unplug, mm-hmm. differentiate well, my uh, my mind, what my mind's working on. Well, we definitely had some content today. Um, first of all, I hope everybody enjoyed the betrothed bites um, from earlier this week as we get sort of caught back up after last week's weird yeah. Um, scheduling thing. Um but yeah, so hopefully the Betrothed Bites was fun and if you guys want more of that, we're going to try and we're going to try and get those in at least every couple weeks. Yeah, it wasn't really, you know, anything that you know this particular movie didn't really warrant anything like that, but yeah. it was a lot of fun and I'd like to do it again when it uh when it when it fits. Right. Well, this week we have Cat Women of the Moon from 1953 and I'm excited about uh, finally really getting a, a legit old black and white on here. Um, particularly, this is an extremely short movie. It so is. this was an era where that was just, they just were loading up the the bills. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the epitome of like B movie. It's it's the B side. It's the the second of the double feature. It's the the other movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one comes in at a, 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 a svelte 63 minutes. Yeah, you could. It's definitely spelt. Mm-hmm. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's also on Amazon. Mm-hmm. This is one that falls squarely in the public domain. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. You can, you can um, essentially use it. We could literally just show this if we wanted to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, the the public domain is fascinating because, well, first of all, the best way to tell if something's public domain is if it's an old black and white movie like this, and you see it in another movie. Um, it's probably public domain. Mm-hmm. That means they probably used it for free. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. seems like this is sort of one of those movies. Yeah, it's definitely a classic. Um, it's, you know... It's, classic B movie. Yeah. You've probably never heard of it. No, and it's... Um, <clears throat> there's a reason why. I mean, it's not, you know, bad, but it's, you know, just a simple little story. I enjoyed it. I mean, like, the, the, it, you said it's a simple story, and it is, but it could have been bigger. Totally. It could have been longer. Yeah. I mean, much like a lot of these old um, B-movies, it's like it's super front-loaded. Very front-loaded. And a couple I'm going to tell you about that 
I would have rather them shown us. And the the whole climax of the movie happens um, in the last five minutes. No, it's like three minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, really, really, really happens mm-hmm. in the last three minutes. Yeah, the third act is probably 15 minutes long at most, um, which, you know, it, it that keeps it exciting. You know, jam-packed in the ending, kind mm-hmm. of. But it um, it touches on, you know, what what men want. What um, <laughs> inspires them? Well, and what's interesting about that is um, there is, and we'll get into this, but the power dynamics in this movie are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching it from a modern standpoint, this one compared to certain movies from the era that I've seen really didn't bump me as much, even with the even with the genre. Yeah, you know, it didn't really bump me. It's not like woke, you know what I mean? It's not By like... By no means was 1953 woke. No, uh, uh, particularly people that end up on a planet full of uh, women that don't have men anymore for reasons we'll get into. But like, However, they there was a woman navigator who yeah, got on on her own accord. Well, sort of. Did she? Also, um, she's definitely treated like a woman... Mm-hmm. the whole time mm-hmm. it's like a 1950s woman mm-hmm. um which is is weird and odd but there's actually some really there's some really there's some moments in there that i enjoyed that i enjoyed for 1953 sure i didn't enjoy them if they were in like a movie now they wouldn't make any sense well of course not because women now aren't quite as fainty our bras are a lot more comfortable <laughs> so yeah. we can breathe yeah um and i think that that you know that complicates things for the 1953 mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. Well, this movie was directed by um, Arthur Hilton. And <clears throat> if you've never heard the name Arthur Hilton, there's probably a good reason. Because he really didn't do a whole lot of directing. Truthfully, he um, he was an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he edited a lot of um, classics in the 40s and, and, and into the 50s. Uh, W.C. Fields, The Bank Dick, which is probably the one that I've heard of because it's one of those you know amc like 100 movie type movies Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. from 1940 he cut that um and then a bunch of other stuff uh from the 40s never give a sucker an even break i don't know that one but it's a super 40s uh thing and uh uh flesh and fantasy Mm. Um, he's actually nominated for an academy award for best editing for uh film noir the killers which is an adaptation of the hemingway Oh, uh, interesting. Novel. That would be a fun watch. Uh, essentially, after after all that, he went to television in the 50s uh, where he was trying to establish himself as a director, but he, and, and a lot of this comes from Wikipedia because really some of these guys, there's not a lot of um, easily sure. digestible information out there that this was that an era where the system was just turning out movies, turning mm-hmm. out whatever they could turn out. They needed content, much like YouTube channels and stuff today. Sure. It was all just like content, 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 whatever we could put out because mm-hmm. people were eating it up. Just as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did finally get to direct um, a couple of things, and this was one of them. And they were they ended up being not great for him or his career, um, which is you know he, he in, in that respect he's gen, he's he's considered to be like a camp kind mm-hmm. of guy now. I mean, like we've got Cat Women of the Moon is is a, is a cult classic, and um, and that's not going to you know lead you to make Citizen Kane necessarily no. but he ended up having a pretty good little career for himself he he edited a lot of stuff because he went back to television he you know he worked on let's see lassie mission impossible uh, a miniseries called washington behind closed doors in 1977 he uh he received a 
a nod for that from the American Cinema Editors Association. Uh, and then he died two years later in 1979 at the age of 82. Now, what's interesting, this just blows my mind that this is even a possibility, even though mathematically it makes perfect sense. He was born in the 1800s. Yeah. That's mind-boggling. I mean, like, I know. math is math, but, you know, the person that directed this wacky movie was born in 1897. Mm-hmm. That's, that's bananas to me. It really is, and it goes to show that quarantine or not, time still tracks on. Oh, yeah. Um, another fun tidbit about this movie is the, the music is fabulous. Great music. Yep, and there's a reason for that, because the composer was fucking Elmer Bernstein. Yeah, and it's not often that a composer gets a title on the movie poster. Well, it, or a credit rather. It's because he's an extremely well-regarded and famous composer. Mm-hmm. Now, around this time, Elmer uh, Bernstein got caught up in the McCarthy era sort of um, blacklist, mm-hmm. uh, and he was essentially forced into doing some other things. And this was one of those other things. Yeah. So there's a reason why there's a couple of B movies. He also did. Uh, I believe he did the music. Hold on, I need to double check. Uh, really quickly that he did. Yes. Okay, so he also did Robot Monster, which is notoriously awful. That's the... It's come up a few times in this podcast because it ends up in other movies because of the public domain. Sure. But that's the one with the the robot... uh, The alien is in a monkey suit with Mm -hmm. a a big gorilla suit with like a diving helmet on and inside the diving (laughs) helmet is a skull. We're gonna do Robot Monster and I'm gonna keep teasing it until we do. Um, but he, yeah, he did the music for that and, and Cat Women to the Moon. And, and this is just that era where he was kind of laying low um, because Hollywood was wrought with communists and the Red Scare at that or point. so they thought. Yeah, oh, I know. It was a giant witch hunt. Uh, and it just really ruined a lot of lives and careers. Yes, but an uh, interesting thing about him is, you know, he, he won an Academy Award. He was nominated for, I believe, 14 Academy Awards mm. over the course of his career. Um, he ended up doing... You know, he did like True Grit and The Magnificent Seven, and and uh, he ended up doing a lot of stuff with John Landis. Uh, he did the he did Animal House, and what's interesting there is he also did Slapshot, which I think is is hmm. is remarkable. But uh, Animal House, John Landis wanted him to do the music for Animal House, and the the um, studio was not into it. They were like, "Why? That doesn't make any sense. This is a comedy." They but didn't Landis get it. wanted to have a really serious score to Animal House to sort of underlay the comedy of everything. So if all the actors are playing the comedy straight Mm -hmm. and the music is playing the comedy straight and it's not extra wacky, Mm -hmm. then it might play as a more serious comedy, which it it ended up, it does. Mm -hmm. Um, It's super problematic in hindsight, Mm -hmm. but that's just a different time period. Completely. which is which is an interesting departure for John Landis, somebody coming off of like a Kentucky Fried Movie and all that stuff, where it's super slapsticky, wacky kind of thing. But it's a brilliant move, mm-hmm. and he ended up doing music for a lot of John Landis movies. He even did the uh, the scoring for Thriller, mm. which is a lot of fun. But uh, anyway, he ended up passing away in two thousand four um, at again eighty two. It seems to be a thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was nominated for 14 Oscars. He won two Golden Globes, an Emmy, nominated for two Grammys, and he won an Oscar for Thoroughly Modern Millie in 1967. So, uh, so he was he was fine. But <laughs> it, it it's really true. The music in this movie is fabulous. It is, and it almost is its own character because it drives 
a lot of what's going on um, yeah. and the emotion. Well, and it sort of has to mm-hmm. because this movie is flawed by a lot of things. But one of the things is like it's 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 weirdly not paced poorly in no. terms of maybe not maybe not it's actual not great, like story but... pacing, but nothing. It's it's rarely a there's rarely a dull spot. You know what I mean? There is a couple of little spots, mm-hmm. but a lot of these movies um, suffer from these long, long. There's one that I'll get into that I think is really hilariously long. But uh, but for the most part, this movie sort of just moves. It tells you exactly what it wants to do, and it gets somewhere. Yeah, someone tells you exactly what they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, This movie actually re- was in 3D. It was part of that gimmick era. Uh-huh. Which is um, really interesting because the 3D technology of the time was really just an optical illusion. Yeah, it was red and blue. Well, technically, I guess if you I want mean, to think it about it, it's all, it's all in an optical illusion. But yeah, it was red and blue. And so they would, they would air it, uh, or air it. They would show it in it with two projectors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it only ran a couple times like that. And then it, you know, because the thing of this movie is there's no reason for it to be 3D. There's really not. There's really only one scene that it would really lend itself to being, um, you know. I mean, maybe. Kind of. Maybe. Unless in like these, the pointy 50s bras, you know. I mean, that could be psychedelic, man. Turning and putting them out of the yeah, screen. Yeah, just like, ah! I would be ducking and bobbing and weaving. It's sort of the equivalent. What's funny is it's kind of the equivalent of now when they, during the, well, when everything had to be in 3D and mm-hmm. they would just do post-process 3D mm-hmm. that wasn't shot in 3D just because they needed to get another 3D movie out because that's mm-hmm. what people wanted to see. We need to have 3D in the, in the theaters, guys. Everybody wants to see a new 3D movie. So they would just rescan something in 3D. But I, I would rather give me something in 3D that you're not... I, don't reach out directly at the camera. Don't play directly to the camera just because you're doing it in 3D. Yeah. So it definitely doesn't I mean, do that. I, think, I mean, I think it was shot for 3D at the time, the way that sure. they, they put it together. But... <coughs> excuse me. They... I don't... Um, my, by the way, one more week of, of, of my allergies. So guys, enjoy that. I swear, by the time we hit, like, you know, late summer... I'm gonna sound normal. You'll even out at some point. <laughs> I won't sound like I like like the asthma that I have, um, and the braces that I. Uh, okay, so that's one exciting thing that mm-hmm. my orthodontist is finally opening back up, and I'm gonna get one Woo! step closer to freaking getting these things off if I have to get COVID. Um, sorry, guys. That was just a, a fun aside. Um, there was a couple of really interesting quotes about this movie from, uh, and if you're asking why we're talking so much about the movie before we get into the movie this week, it's because it's real short. Real short. Um, so this was a fun quote, I thought. So this is from Variety Magazine, and, and, and when it came out. And I want you to just take note of how uh, um, differently a review was written back in the mm-hmm, 50s. Mm-hmm. So upon the film's re- release, here's a, here's a Variety quote. This imaginatively conceived and produced science fiction yarn, an original story by producers Zimblist and Rabin, takes the Earth-to-moon premise and embellishes it with a civilization of cat women on the moon. Cast, ab- cast ably <laughs> portray their respective roles. Arthur Hilton makes his direction count in catching the spirit of the theme, and art direction is far above average for a film of this caliber. Hmm. William Whitley's 3D pr- photography provides a pr- the proper eerie quality. I guarantee you, 100%, this person never saw this movie. That or they work for the production studio. Or both. It's a variety writer. Both. What it sounds like is he's never seen this movie. No, he was given a synopsis. Yes, everything he says is a synopsis because, because at no point in this movie do they ever 
did they really there's no reason for them to be called cat women no in fact i believe this came out in a couple of different probably was probably released under different uh titles too because it's actually it is cat women of the moon but people have used footage from it for other things it, it, it at one point it was recut into a different title for a, some other movie like they this this happens all the time with this old footage mm-hmm. um another all of these reviews okay so the new york times review they the cat women try to get their hands on the visitor's rocket ship hoping to come down here and hypnotize us all considering the delegation that went up it's hard to imagine why. That person saw it. That person saw the movie, but that person literally spoiled the whole movie. The That's whole movie. the entire plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's literally what happens. In fact, dare I say... Except for, extra spoiler alert, they don't. They don't, but the only thing he didn't spoil is the setup. The reason wh- who they actually want to hypnotize? Yes. Yeah. Um, other than that, really, the, the one of the interesting things about this, and, and there's a... Um, the other thing, this is actually in the Wikipedia too, is uh, a book, the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, refers to this movie um, as being absurd, but notes that it qualifies as one of the most influential science fiction films ever made um, because it's sort of the first in the line of um, astronauts discover an all-female civilization on another planet. Mm-hmm. And so that happens a lot. So this is oh, kind yeah. of, this is sort of the genesis of that. Okay, okay. Um at least it is as far in as format, popularity goes. Sure. Like this Because that is a common theme moving forward because it's super easy. It's an well, easy premise to come a, up with a story It's something around. that most men are afraid of is a society mm-hmm. of all women in power where we have exterminated Yes. Men. And it plays as a fear and a fetish mm-hmm. and uh, all of the above. Mm-hmm. So, so particularly in that era from the you know early 50s into the 60s i mean like it just look at mad men and that's yes that this movie is a, is a direct response to the to the world of mad men mm-hmm. well you know? mad men might be a, is a little bit after this but it is but it's it the is same. the same kind of era and the same feeling mm-hmm. very um domineering very um white male driven frankly and um oh yeah everyone in this movie is white <laughs> every single person in this movie is white um it's interesting to me to learn that it was two producers that wrote the original story for this film oh yeah and they clearly had a writer do a punch up to it because See, what that means this is, is not a writer's film but that what that means is they had an idea a poster mm-hmm. and they wanted a movie where there was premise. a whole planet planet full of women yep and i have a feeling the cat women thing came from a producer probably because he probably just said it and didn't know what it meant. Sure, I had no idea. Because I didn't do, really, I didn't really look at the timeline. But I'm assuming that Catwoman, the Batman villain, exists at this point. But I don't know. You know, I'd have to double check. I, I'm not sure where she falls. My in... my Batman history is is Sorry, not guys. so good. Um, but yeah, that's that's really all. I wanted to to get into some some details about the movie. But I will say that the fun thing about this movie, as we we dive in here. Um, it opens one of my favorite ways. It opens with a narration. Actually, it opens with a hard, hard open of titles and a full credit pre-roll. Yes, and blaring orchestral horns. Oh, yeah. We come out really strong right out the gate with this uh, composure. And I I really, I I get a kick out of uh, all of these these titles and stuff like this because it's really interesting that they did that because they kind of control however long it needed to be and there was never mm-hmm. a post credit sequence. 
No, or, they I mean, didn't a, a need post, uh, you know, a post titles credit. And that's very uh, indicative of this era. We do things a little bit differently now. Yeah. Um, now we understand, you know, you really got to suck people in within those first five to ten minutes so you don't lose an audience. Um, however, they wanted to make sure that they got their credit where credit was due, and that was right up front. Oh, 100%. With this one. Um, so and I get, love the narrator over this black sky of yes. stars. And I love I love uh, uh, how these old movies will open on those on those credits. Uh, I mean, on those narrations. And and what's interesting about it is it kind of like what a good narration it is, and it almost like gets you kind of jacked up. It's like, oh, we're in for some shit. It does. I'm excited because we're going to the moon. Yeah. Well, fun fact about this narration: it was used for um, the intro of the 1993 surf rock. Uh, um, band Man or Astro Man's song uh, Taxidermist Surf it was from their debut album. Uh, in fact, let's listen to a little bit of it. Here's the whole. This is this is the whole. This is the intro to the song. But this just straight up is the narration at the beginning of this movie. The eternal wonders of space and time, the faraway dreams and mysteries of other worlds, other life, the stars, the planets. Man has been face to face with them for centuries, yet is barely able to penetrate their unknown secrets. Sometime, someday, the barrier will be pierced. Why must we wait? Why not now? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> that's the beginning of uh, Taxidermist Surf. I'm so into it. No, I love it. But I mean, you, you couldn't tell from our, our theme music. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was really fun because this is really this is that era of uh, of B movie. You know, this is as mystery science theater as it gets. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But now, something interesting I found about this movie too is that the, the the view it takes on space, and we'll talk about it as we go. I'm sure, but. That opening says so much about where we were with a space program and thinking mm-hmm. about nuclear stuff mm-hmm. after the war. And space travel. Um, and Yeah, because we're still a long way away from the moon. Oh, yeah. You know, we're a good, um, what, 10, 17 years? 17 years or so, give or take. Um, <laughs> a couple presidents away at the yeah, very least. Exactly. Um, but it's... It's great because it it has this level of optimism and a sense of wonder that gets you really excited about what they're doing. And And the questions he's asking, you know, when when will when will the veil be pierced? Yeah. Why not tomorrow? Why not now? And I think that that's something that really holds up. Yeah, the why not now holds up, and it makes me laugh because as soon as we see this first rocket, I'm like, that's That's why. why. (laughs) Yep, that's why. Because this little rocket ship. Bless this little model's heart. It's precious. Um, somebody borrowed their son's toy. I love it. And I love the the inserts of this model because... I love fake old space that would never work. And it's so effective it's for great. storytelling. For what they're doing, it's great. And I... I but that's... I'm such a big fan of that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to try... I'm going to... It's kind of come up, but I'm trying to view this not from a 2020 lens. Sure. I'm trying to view this from a, a fun movie lens. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to talk about how crazy some of the stuff is in this movie. Well, my favorite crazy thing <coughs> is that as soon as we cut to the interior of the rocket ship, that the crew is strapped to these like 
yard chairs, like yeah, these it's, loungers. It's a spacious and not cots. It's a spacious and nonsensically designed shuttle interior full of patio furniture. It is pretty great. They're all laying on cots. They're strapped to these cots. They're literally patio furniture like that would be by a pool. Yes. It's like a tanning chair. Yes. And they're strapped down to them. And most of them They're are, very ergonomic. They're very ergonomic, which I understand. Knees up. What's interesting, though, is that I, I feel like some of them are sleeping. Some of them are. And then there's this one person who is just transfixed on the window, and he is out of his mind for, and, for that minute. And, that, and that, that I thought was great, because it's like, are they supposed to be in some kind of hypersleep? See, I imagine that they took some t- like form of like 1953 Ambien, yeah. and they were supposed to be knocked out, but he fought it. I know, and... <laughs> and he was kind of hallucinating well, and, and buying all, things online. When they all woke up... I immediately am like, uh oh, okay. So, so a couple of observations from here. Um, before we knew that space travel required more than high pants and sick boots, mm-hmm. um, this is the movie that we had. Yes. So, so their whole uniform mm-hmm. is like a safari outfit. It is. It's very early Banana Republic. Um, it's not even like military so much. No, because it, it's like akin to a casual Air Force uniform, but completely almost, stripped down. Yeah, it's almost it's military. somewhere between Park Ranger and Air Force. I was getting huge Park Ranger vibes from this. Mm-hmm. And those like sort of gaucho tuck pants. Yes. And this is why I'd kind of like to see this film in color. High I'd pants, like to see man. it colorized. Super high pants. Because. Oh, you know it's khaki. It's I all khaki. No, I want to see the washed, shades of khaki. This movie is washed in a sea of khaki. But with the the colorized posters and all that good stuff, when we get to the Catwomen, they seem pretty far out. So oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I would love to the see. The other thing is this has to be the first. It's got to be a record. It's the first steel case office furniture in space. Oh, yeah. Everything on this, this spaceship is like a steel case desk, steel mm-hmm. case chairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that really, which is why I realize now they're on a rocket because they had to have mostly fuel to get there because all of that furniture and all the computers would be so heavy. Oh, weighs so much. Oh my gosh. But the way this rocket ship is designed, it's literally a rocket. Yep. And on top of that is just a layer of living space. Yep. There's like a little capsule up top for And they sit on top of a bomb, essentially. Basically. Which, you know, that's a great way to describe space travel. Strapping a bomb to your butt and just (laughs) getting out there. (laughs) So they they wake up from their hyper sleep. It's almost like they're getting pushed down as if like it's gravity. Yes. But not really. They're not selling it. So they, they're they getting these radio calls back from Earth, and they're ignoring them because uh, Granger, who is, yep. for all intents and purposes, our He's captain. He's the captain. And by the way, I'd like to ask you a question. How old do you think that actor is? Oh, my God. Given that it's 1953, I think that he's probably 34. No, I'm, but you're he, so, how genuinely, how old does he look? He looks like he's in his late 50s. Oh, yeah. No, he's 43. Yeah. Yeah. Whiskey and cigarettes will do that to you. Yeah, and um, that that is one of the reasons why he got a divorce, according to um, Wikipedia. So oh, this actor, yeah. uh, is his name is Sonny Tufts. Okay. And uh, I was wondering why he has such a weird accent. So he's born in Massachusetts, but his family was from um, England. Ah. So he, he has this really strange accent that I couldn't put a finger on. That, because it's almost mid-Atlantic? Yes. But it's not. But it's not. Because for those who don't know, mid-Atlantic is a, a mid made-up 
accent. There's not really such a thing as it's, mid-Atlantic. It's essentially what they taught actors to do back in the day. Correct. Um, it was the American accent. Yeah, there's touches of Queen's English to yeah. make things sound a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah. Not quite as flat as the traditional American accent. Um, but it, I think that that's where I'm getting that mid-Atlantic is that he definitely has the English um, and he gets... You know, Massachusetts every once in a while. And my Massachusetts sounds like Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Well, he went to Yale uh, where he played football and was part of Skull and Bones. So he's about as white as it gets. Yeah. But he also did a lot of theater and stuff, which is also super white. Um, But he was was one of the really prominent actors during World War II because according to reports, I mean, I can't speak to what actually went on. He he had a, a really bad injury at Yale while he was playing football and didn't end up going into the war. So he was one of the sought after actors who he was ineligible. So he was around and good looking. He was around and good looking Mm -hmm. and they put him in a bunch of movies. Sure. Uh, He passed away sadly at the age of 58 Mm. uh, from pneumonia, which means he smoked and drank a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, in the, in 1970. So that's the story of Sonny Tufts. The only other really interesting thing I'd like to mention about him is his, uh, grand uncle uh, founded Tufts University. Oh. So that's why his last name is so familiar and why he probably was able to go to Yale very easy. So when you're white and wealthy, it's not that difficult. Funny how some things just never change. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so after our crew slowly and difficultly wakes up, Captain wants uh, reports from all of them. And gotta everyone, have those reports. Yeah, gotta have those reports. From all their stations. And then they have to sound off. In the same room. I thought this was a genius bit. This was smart. Such a smart, right? Whoever, like the guy that wrote this, and I can't remember his name right now because I don't have it written down. Um, this is a genius move. So So everyone does like a little roll call. And it essentially, it, when they're they're sounding off back to base, uh-huh. to, let's call Earth. it Earth, Houston, whatever it is at this point, um, and each one of them says their name and their job, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, perfect. Now we don't have to worry about any other exposition for these characters until we need it. Uh-huh. This is who everybody is. Well, and it's smart because as much as uh, Laird, who's Captain Granger, does not mm-hmm. care and is unfazed about what's going on. You can call him Laird because that's what they call him through the whole movie. He's either Commander or Laird. Mm-hmm. So he <laughs> is weird. He's very nonplussed by this. He is not excited at all. No. But everyone back at Earth is really excited because this is the first time we've sent someone to the moon. Oh, yeah. Laird is super concerned with doing things by the book. I'm like, what fucking book? What book are you talking about? This is the first time you've sent people to the moon. It's so confusing. And they're going on this exploratory mission. But what's what's double interesting to me is that not only are they going to the moon, it's almost as if they're going to the moon with zero idea of what is on the moon at yep. all. Nope. Like there's been no studying of the, you know. They've seen it from <laughs> Earth and that's it. To the point at which they talk about this dark side, light side of the moon thing. Like We have never seen the dark side. What and are you it, supposed to, I mean, come on. It's how are yeah. you? It's interesting. All the science is perfectly accurate. Yeah. Um. Then we get this whistling meteor that screeches and lodges itself into the lower part of the rocket. I'd like to go ahead and translate that. They get shot at by Roman candles in space. <laughs> okay, it's real great. And then, you know, we cut to the exterior and all we're doing is spinning the ship around to dislodge it, which is right. real cute. Um, And there's a 
issue, one of our storage containers, um, you know, totally leaks and um, uh-huh. a smoke machine goes off and it's an issue. So one of our guys, Kip, uh, runs off to fix the container and he just gears up in a bee suit. He's a beekeeper. Okay. Okay. So I want to, I want to hit a couple of, hit a couple of things here. One of the things that I thought was interesting, they did say that they were traveling at seven miles a second, which is what it takes to get to the, what they used to get to the moon. It was about 25,000 miles an hour. Oh. So that's one thing that is interesting. Um, so after they get hit by the space Roman candle, they have to put on their seat belts. You forgot about this. Oh. Those steel case desk chairs yep. have seat belts attached to yep. them. Yep. And they're not harnesses or straps. No, they're waist belts. <laughs> They're full-on automotive waist belts. Volvo hadn't come up with the three-point safety harness yet. Seriously. So they just like, well, we're going to put the seatbelts on. Also, I feel like these the, the chairs were supposed to be like nailed down, but it looked like they moved. So oh, I was they like, totally moved. wait a they, minute. They like inch them around this as doesn't, This doesn't make any <laughs> It doesn't sense. make any sense. What are you seatbelting yourself to? So that you are attached to a giant piece of shrapnel? Yeah. So Kip, who is ready to fight any and everything... Um, Puts on his beekeeper welding outfit. Yep, and goes to uh, to keep everyone spa- safe from the space gas. Yep, he goes uh, below deck into yep. this like storage facility, and just fumbles around. Yeah. Okay. So first, the thing I want to say about that is everyone has great hair in this movie. Yeah, and we see a lot of it because there is about three straight minutes of people standing around staring at their watches uh-huh. while someone in a beekeeper pajamas sprays a fire extinguisher around a steam room. Yes, because it's Kip against the clock. Yes, so he's in this room and it is literally just full of steam and every once in a while you kind of see him fumbling mm-hmm. around. He's literally fumbling around <laughs> he is. for a while. And then it cuts back and forth between our rest of our crew standing up at the top, literally just standing there looking at their watches and not even checking anything else. Just nope. looking at their watches and being pensive and... Because there's an acid leak, and it doesn't matter. It It doesn't matter what they do if that acid. If Kip doesn't fix that acid leak, they're goners. Well, and everyone knows the only thing that destroys acid is a good fire extinguisher. Obviously. So that's that what he does. That makes the most sense, right? He fumbles his way into a fire extinguisher and sprays it around mm-hmm. the steam room until someone turns off the fog machine. Yeah. And uh, he he makes it upstairs, but he you know it was rough. He passes out. Um. And I believe that this is where we cut. Yep, this is where we come to Helen sitting over him. Yeah. So they they show the rocket. There's this thing in this movie where the rocket ship can just turn on its thrusters and mm-hmm. just push itself through space. So so there's no multi stage rocketing happening no. here. So when they cut back to that rocket, it's just got a fire trail coming out the back of it because they just turned it back on, like yep. hit the gas, and they're going to keep going. And unlike. Okay, that's just not how thrust works in space. This rocket is powered by propane. <sighs> <It's> re- <laughs> <laughs> this rocket is definitely powered by propane. So what you're about to talk about is one of my favorite dialogue exchanges. And it's at, if you guys are following along, it's about 12.57. That's right. We're only 12 minutes in. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want you to remember we're only 12 minutes in. So uh, Helen is sitting over Kip because she's mm-hmm. concerned. Sure. And uh, they have this little dialogue exchange that is incredible, like, alpha male 1950s. Like, every scene with Kip and Helen mm-hmm. is fabulous. It made me, this makes me pierce my lips like my mother. And it is, it's fabulous in a way that's, like, kind of weirdly sexy. 
but also super sexist. Yeah. But also like kind of well acted. But it's like, but the rest of the movie is kind of okay acted, but these scenes are really good, but they're so like chauvinistic and sexist, but their tension is palpable. This chemistry. Really good, right? Yeah. Their sexual tension is super palpable so that like the 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 sexism of the whole thing bumps you after the fact. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's listen to a little bit of this exchange. This trip, the only relation I have with Laird is a scientific one. This is no time to pamper with the emotion. <laughs> I bet you got that from him. <laughs> it's true. It's hooey. You can't turn love on and off like a faucet. Believe me, baby, if I ever fell in love with you, I'd chase you across the world around the moon and all the way stations in between. That's my favorite. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's like the manliest 50s bullshit it's, you could say to anybody. It's almost like 50s nagging. It's super It's super 50s alpha bullshit, but it's so well executed that you're is like. because I kind of fall for it for a second. Then I'm like, wait a minute. Exactly. So that's what happened to me. I was like, whoa. And then afterwards I dissected like what he was saying to her. And I was like, uh-huh. I mean, that's Even you up. were like, take me, daddy. <laughs> for like a split <laughs> second. I was like, all right. And it's it's interesting because there's a, a power dynamic. He's clearly an alpha, and but Laird is in charge. Yeah, the secondary, the sub level of of battle in this movie is between Kip and Laird, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really apply from Laird's perspective. No, until the very end of the movie. Yeah, and then when it comes out, it comes out in full force Hard. at an inopportune time where there's really no reason for it. But we will get there. Sure. So um, Helen walks across, you know, this 10-foot room to go talk to Laird. And this is a great piece of dialogue and reveal right here because they're chatting. And then he just casually asks who Alpha is. Because on the radio, Helen said, Alpha, we're on our way. But she doesn't remember saying it. She's immediately like, I don't remember saying that. Well, and Helen's also navigating to the moon and around the moon for memory with zero regard for data or coordinates. She has not looked at the equipment one time. She's brushing her hair and she's confident that they're on. um, And there, and and at one point she says, he's like, he's like, where are we? Are we, are we good? Are we, are we almost there? She's like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're almost there. Like, Mm -hmm. and they just take it as face at face Mm -hmm. value. Um, It's, it's a really weird choice to have none of the actors respond to it until like halfway through the movie. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because you get the sense that this crew doesn't know each other very well. From the get-go. So you have the one guy, um, Walter, who is just interested in making money off of things. He's Mm -hmm. a swindly guy Mm -hmm. who's got the perfect mustache for it. Mm -hmm. Sort of a John Waters thing. That's a job requirement. 100%. And if you're gonna be if you're gonna be the guy that needs money, so that's a if thing. If you're gonna be a grifter, it's basically what he's doing. He's trying to job everybody. Mm-hmm. And what I don't understand is who they work for, because if they're military, what's the point of him trying to like make they're a million not, dollars? They're right. definitely not. So we know that Kip is former Marine, or and I mean Walt, Navy. Walt is an engineer, right? Mm-hmm. So what? But why? And then Doug is our radio guy. So they're all experts in their own thing. But we were in such a rush to get to the moon that we didn't bother to have these uh, people trying together. For they're anything. all supposed to be scientists, mm-hmm. but they like, all have their own specialty, and yeah. they're just letting them go and do it. But engineer guy is 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 just trying to make money off of something. Sure, like everything's a deal. At one point, he what I thought was genius was that they had him. Um, they had him name check 
an oil company mm-hmm. when they when they when he talked back to the the people back on Earth. You know, he probably has student loans to pay off. Yeah, from all the engineering school. Yeah, because um, you know, back in the day, back in nineteen fifty three, engineering school cost probably all of eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, and back then that was expensive, right? <laughs> well, it's funny. <laughs> one of the plots in um, that movie, that W. C. Fields movie, The Bank Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, was a bank robbery where at one point they they were stealing like five hundred dollars mm-hmm. because they were because and someone wanted to open a cafe with it I believe I can't remember exactly all of it but it's like wow and now it's <laughs> like okay I'll leave I'll give you five hundred dollars if you leave me alone hey you got to be careful now our money is worth very little at the moment it really is you got to <laughs> oh, be careful guys um, but what's fun is that she's clearly driven by some unforeseen knowledge and And i thought she did a really good i thought that um this actress was really really good at what she was doing in this movie she did because she's having to um, mary windsor mary windsor yeah does a great job with helen um because she's you know she's under the influence we're about to learn and she comes in and out of it really well Mm -hmm. and you don't notice it she has a she has a very slow transition to to this uh, to the point when they get on the planet here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's starting to ramp up. And she's doing a lot with it. And then she's once it locks the in. She's the most thoughtful actor on the set right 100%. now. A hundred percent. Everyone else is just doing their. Like you basically have three alpha ga- alphas. One beta male. Mm-hmm. And uh, a woman. Mm-hmm. And so the three alpha guys are just doing their bit. Mm-hmm. So Helen has a lot more that she has to deal with. And then the other guy is great, and we'll get to him in a minute. Mm-hmm. I love beta male guy, the radio dude. Mm-hmm. He's really good in this, too. This is where our <clears throat> crew lands. Um, Helen has decided of to land in a valley on the dark side of the moon. Which bumps him immediately. Because how have you seen the dark side of the moon? Katie, it's solid science. We don't even have to get into it. Everyone she understands. sweeps it under the rug very well, saying that she could see <laughs> the edge of it from the photos. Yeah, it'll be fine. She knows this is the perfect spot to land. Yes. Um, and so they land very quickly. It was a very easy landing, considering this is their first time and none of them are worried about yes. it. Yes. Um, there's a short debate of should they you know, start exploring? Should they check the ship? If oh, no. Repairs? Slight debate my ass. Kip wants to check the ship because of his military training. Mm-hmm. He wants to be able to bounce at a moment's notice yes. should they need to. Now, and it's not surprising that he's the one who wants to take a gun with him. He wants to take... I thought that was so funny. He wants to take a gun and she wants to take cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it is 1953. Yep. Because if it were today, it would be a vape yep. and still a gun. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just playing. Uh, but let me tell you, these spacesuits are fucking everything. I adore these spacesuits so much. We have to talk about this. So there are these spacesuits that look like um, jumpsuits with pool noodles around the wrists and ankles, which mm-hmm. already you've got me there. It, mm-hmm. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. But the helmets on these, for some reason, there's two different variations of helmet. Right. I don't understand that. But both of them manage to look like breast pumps. Oh, you're right. Literally, both yeah, of them look not like a different pump types of breast pumps. I would pumps. want to use. However, they especially both the clear like one. Painful breast pumps. Oh yeah. Um, I love that they uh, repurpose sleeping bags to create these spacesuits. Yep. It was very uh, creative and economical <laughs> of them. <laughs> That's what it looked like. They were big potato sacks with breast pump helmets. Yes. Um. So Walter also wants to sell moon stamps. 
Yeah. So this was the most like 50s thing. We're trying to, we're, there's not very many of them. You got to keep them rare. When people were, tra- this was that post-war bonds era when people were buying stamps as yep. investment pieces. Collecting them. Oh boy, it was like the most 50s thing. Oh, like God. this is, so So they someone says they need to take a gun. Another character says she wants to take her cigarettes. And then another character says he's going to sell moon stamps. It's like. How much more 1953 can it be? It's so weird. And I didn't quite get it at the time, but now I see that that's just him looking at an angle to make money. Everything's an angle for that character. It's Everything's surface, an angle. It's surface level, and it, of course, comes back to bite him. So Laird goes first, and there's this weird chairlift <laughs> that they stand on to oh, go down the I rocket ship. I love a good spaceship elevator stair. <laughs> and it takes so long. Yeah, it was great. And then you saw the whole thing, too. Yeah, the entire thing. Uh, down the side of the spaceship, um, he checks out the barren surface which of is Which has extreme, extreme mountains and yes, ranges. I didn't realize how mountainous the moon was. Well, it's what's funny is... That image over the years just gets translated onto planets we're not familiar with yet. Mm-hmm. So like that sort of vibe is like, well, that's what the moon looks like. And we get to the moon and it don't really look like that. And then we go, well, then that's what Mars looks like. Turn mm-hmm. it red. So they turn those matte paintings red and then we get, you know, we're like, well, it kind of looks like Mars. It looks probably more like Mars than the moon. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it, I, I don't know. It was, I I'm really love down it. The ride. I love I'm, those. Though. Yeah. They're t- I'm, I'm going with them on this ride. So they're yelling at each other through, too, through these helmets. Well, you have to. But, but here's what I thought was so weird. is So when they have the helmets on, they're screaming at each other because there's no radio communications on no. the helmets. No one thought ahead to that. Nope. But we have, like, walkie-talkies. It's 1953. We're post-World War II. They have radio communications. But they're big. <laughs> and why can't you just hear through this clearly well, vacuum-sealed spacesuit? And then going back to me being nitpicky about this one specific thing, because it was so funny. It, it did bump me that they had to scream at each other the whole mm-hmm. time um, because particularly because Helen yells the loudest <laughs> and she's just yelling mm-hmm. constantly when they have the helmets on mm-hmm. but they had like backpack radios for World War II at this point Absolutely. I don't know. I gotta leave that I gotta leave that alone I'm, I'm along for the ride they had to cut weight on the spaceship because of how heavy the computers and all the steel <laughs> yeah, that's right. are so they were like you guys are just gonna have to yell this one yep. out yep um, space might be a vacuum you're gonna have to shout through it fellas mm-hmm. And finally, the rest of the crew gets down to the surface, um, and they send the lift back up for nobody. And yeah. that weirded me out. <laughs> um, it's the uh, it's their parking break. Yep, it's no the one's gonna be. Break. It's, it's the E-break. the club. No well, one's you, gonna be able to get in there. You know, they, you don't. You got to pull the ladder up. You know. Yeah. And so uh, Helen wants to explore a cave that she noticed yep. on their way in. And on the moon, I want to remember everyone to remember um, that. You can only travel from left, from right to left, or left to right on the moon. There is no forward and backwards. No, this is a side scroller. Because this the whole, moon all of their moon exploration is a side scroll. Yep, it yep. is all Super Mario Brothers. And then they almost get hit by another Roman candle, but they duck this time. They duck, and it ex- explodes somewhere. You know what? This might be why the this might be what they were doing for the three D. Oh, now that yeah. I think about it, because it would it would come straight at the camera, and that always bumped me. But it never registered to me as a 3D thing. No, it just registered as like a ball of light. That's 100% what they were doing. Um, It crashes to the surface, and then they walk to... To the right some more. Yeah, they Moon can, right. Moon right. Stage left, moon right. Yeah. Um, they come to what's called the dividing line. What he refers to as the dividing line, because... 
the light and dark side of the moon are divided by a hard line. Yes. There is no deviation. Nope. And apparently there is a dark and light side of the moon because on the light side of the moon, uh, the moon gives off its own heat and light. Mm-hmm. As explained by, uh, what's his name? Commander Laird. Laird. Uh, takes a cigarette silly cigarette let me see one of those silly cigarettes and he takes it his hand and puts Uh it on the ground on the light side of the moon and it bursts into flames immediately yes it just spontaneously combusts and poofs burns out apparently at this point we were convinced they don't acknowledge it they all just move on they're like huh and then they walk away from the silly science experiment so at this point I, i have to assume that we thought the moon gave off its own heat and light and it wasn't just a big old reflector. But we knew that it didn't have an atmosphere. There's a lot of confusing science in this. So what I think it is is that this writer put everything in it that he had read, mm-hmm. and then what he hadn't read, uh, he filled in the blanks. Yeah, he just but he filled it. them in so incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. It was really funny to, mm-hmm. to, to see. Mm-hmm. But and it's so it's more jarring when occasionally they say something that actually is right. Yes. So as the group is approaching the cave, Kip notes to, um, I think it's Doug. I don't know if it's Walt or Doug. Doug um, is the little squirrely guy. Yeah. And Walt is the guy that wants to sell stuff. So Kip notes that Helen couldn't have seen this cave from the angle they came in at. Yeah, Kip's beginning to wise up that something's wrong with Helen at this point. And the other guy is just like, well, oh, it's just like a good guess, you know? And he's like, yeah. I don't know how the hell she guessed. Not only a landing location that she'd never seen. And he knows this because he sniffed her whole panty drawer. He knows what's up. Um, So they get to the cave and Helen immediately wants to go in. The guys hesitate, but she just takes off inside. So they have no choice but to follow her. Yeah, Helen, at this point, Helen's just doing whatever the fuck she wants. And it's smart, <laughs> though, because we learn that she's not herself right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, Okay, so that was a good thing. Whenever they get up to the cave, Helen says, let's go in. To which Laird responds, might as well. Yeah. And that's my, so that's by the book, huh? Yeah, that's by the book. The book says, if you see a really weird Mm -hmm. cave on the moon, fuck it. They are here as an exploration. You know, we've got to. It is exploratory. uh, This is super pre-Roddenberry universe. Yes. So, I mean, I guess what they're doing is proper exploration. I guess. However, they do immediately kill something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the guys follow her in, and then she kind of, like, looks around, and she has this, exactly as I dreamed it. Yeah. Or did I? At which point. Yeah, so she's she's selling this at this point. So we, we're, we're this is the first time we've really let the audience in on the idea that uh, something's really up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really loved what Laird says when he comes in. Did you note this? When he comes in and says uh, and basically asks her if she's had enough, mm-hmm. and that if she's tired, they can go back. They've been walking around for what seems like five minutes, if that. And she's bitched this whole time about her boots being super heavy. Well, because they're made for a different atmosphere. And then the guys start to get, you know, the guys finally start to agree with her in a moment. Right. It starts to feel weird. But she is the one who is immediately saying, these (laughs) boots are so heavy. Yeah. Because, well, she faints a lot. They aren't made for walking. No. Oh, Uh, man. I know. You're welcome. Um, This is when they find moisture And Laird immediately declares it impossible. They question if there's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, of course, one of them pulls out one of um, Helen's matches and lights it. And since it lights, we know there must be oxygen. 
Right. So then, they do understand that fire is only possible with oxygen, mm-hmm. but the rocket burns fine in open space. Yes. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, pay no mind. Pay no mind. No. Uh, pay no mind either when all three guys rush to take their helmets off at the same <laughs> like, time. They're like, cool, let's try. And Laird has to be like, uh, how about one at a time? Yeah. Uh, so they realize, you know, there's there's atmosphere. It's air oh, yeah. in this which, cave. And they breathe it real hard like they're tasting it, at which point uh, Walter says, maybe we can bottle this stuff for sale. Moon mist for chronic coughs and asthma. I mean... This guy's a real... Whatever you can do to make a buck, moon, am I right? Martin, Martin Screlly. What we don't know is when he gets back to Earth... <gasps> Martian Screlly. Oh. Katie. Why? Katie. We're done. I Ladies and gentlemen, I retire it was from great podcasting. talking to you today. Martian Screlly. I retire from podcasting. I will yep. never do another podcast for the rest of my Thank life. God. Cool. It's your show now. Bye. So, Click. this is where we get our first silhouette. Of... Slam. I'd slam the door. Okay, yeah. Right. Um, Wait. Thud, thud, thud Creek, down the stairs. Open. Slam. Sit. I'm back. You're back. Yeah. Um, welcome back. It was so much better. I know. So this is where we get the silhouette of a woman who we don't recognize. Yes. So this they the milk the silhouette shot. Time we get to see. Also, they just take off all their fucking suits. They don't just take off their helmets. They take off their suits, fold them, and leave them on a rock. Yeah, because they're heavy. Yeah. They're sick of walking in those heavy boots. It's like the equivalent of an old movie when the kids would just drop their bicycles somewhere and then mm-hmm. just go. Just be like, just gone. Um, I used to do that too until it got stolen. How <laughs> that'll teach you. Uh, Kip insists on reading his gun, which is still the most sane thing Kip to do. Kip just really wants to kill something. He really does. Um, and as we were exploring the cave... Moon spider! Moon spider! Oh my god, this puppet. But, yeah, but they immediately attack it and murder it while it screams oh, for its life. Oh my god. So Helen screams... It's a giant spider. It like drops down on Helen. She like screams and runs away and all of the men attack, attack it. Attack it with knives. Where did they get knives? I don't know. I didn't know they had knives. They all have knives. They just start. They immediately, all that it's done is spook one of the people in their crew. Uh-huh. Then they run at it. Mm-hmm. They charge it. Mm-hmm. And then just stab it to death. And yes. it shrieks and screams for like three whole minutes. Oh, yeah. And then Kip has to shoot it twice to kill it. He double taps <laughs> it. He double taps that oh, spider. So man. Helen's like backing up. She's having a moment. And then a second spider comes down on top of Helen. <laughs> Moon spider again. She screams. Moon the guys run over. Two. And Kip shoots the spider again. Ha- Helen like is attracting these moon spiders like she's fucking in heat she is i don't she has that like moon spider musk yes. that they they really like so they leave helen here to recover while they go do recon which i thought was a weird move they're both like okay well uh you know you two go this way you two go this way helen are you okay cool we'll be back you yeah. hang out in this creepy cave where we don't know if there's any more moon spiders no, where you've clearly shown that you're vulnerable yeah and she has this weird moment of dialogue where she's like isn't it funny i knew everything but this mm-hmm. and it's like why why are the moon spiders here yeah nobody knows and no one ever clarifies that no nope. i'm just gonna assume we're supposed to think they're guarding the the entrance Right. Because at this point, we have a, we see our first Catwoman. Yes. Uh, but we see her from the, the neck down. And let me tell you, I am here for these Catwomen, and these bodysuits are fabulous. Mm-hmm. So she puts a weird, um, like uh, a weird um, 
birth control patch on her hand. Mm-hmm. So she draws a circle. So she like slinks around Helen and yep. like kind of touches her and draws this little circle on her hand that wakes Helen up, spooks her, and the Catwoman runs away. Yep. Um, she screams awake because that's how a damsel wakes up. Right. She's in distress, Katie. Yeah. Her castle hath been sieged. So Laird and Doug run back. Um, and they want to go back to the ship, but Helen doesn't want to go. Yeah. This is when Kip and Walt rejoin and they announce that the spacesuits are gone. Yep. So they're trapped. So now they got to go farther in. Yep. Um, they come to an opening. Because Kip wants to find these suits. Yeah, because it's the only way back to the ship. Right. They're stranded. They have to stay in this atmosphere until they find their suits. Well, and as they cross through the cave, they come Mm -hmm. upon a whole, like, land. Yeah. So, like, there's this, what's weird is this, and they even even mention it. They're like, yeah, basically there's a valley. It's this whole subterranean moon society, and there's both atmosphere and a sky, and it's underground. And clouds. You guys... I don't know, but yeah. they find it. There is sun inside of the moon, didn't you know? And Helen is is like this is peak Helen. This is peak um, mm-hmm. Mary Windsor. There it is doing some really good shit because this is where she's really in and out of it. Yeah, and this there can't be one of the great lines is there can't be another world in the bowels of the moon. And then oh, there is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like yeah, you yeah, can, it is. Yeah, I work here. It's a little mini world. Yeah. So they go in and find basically a, um, a like weird a, Greek terrace, like a temple, yeah, kind of thing. It has um, very obvious Greek influenced pillars. Um, there's statues. Um, they're all female figures. Yes, um, and, and they're sort of cat feline. Kind of like the stuff on the wall. I was looking for something to bring me, bring in the cat element. Yeah, but there really wasn't much. There was something about the statues that looked a little Egyptian. And let me tell you, Kip really is more concerned about because they find carbon Mm -hmm. in these little bowls, which is clearly urns, which is clearly where like they're they're clearly um, they're like Olympic torches. torches. Yeah. Yeah. And they light one of them. And at this point, seriously, Kip is so concerned about these fucking spacesuits. I know. That's all he wants. Hashtag justice for Kip. Justice for Kip. All he wants are these spacesuits, man. Get Kip's suit back. Yeah. And she... She's right at home at this point. She's right at home. Kip is questioning her. He wants to know how she knew about this place. And she just, like, washes it on the rug because she must have just dreamed it. Um... Helen takes um, one of the guys, I think it's Doug, and they go and investigate. And this is when he gets attacked by a Catwoman. It's the first time we get to see a Catwoman, and it is at um, 33. Well, the first time we get a full Catwoman at 33 minutes into the movie that Mm -hmm. is 103 minutes or 63 minutes long. Yeah. So (laughs) he's shouting for help. Um, Helen is just clutching the pillar watching and then she slinks away right before the guys get over to help him. Um, and he, or I mean, he runs off um, for help. And the woman, Helen, Helen like watches it all go down. It's really weird. So she sees it happen, lets it all go down, doesn't do anything. <laughs> and then she bails midway through him getting attacked. And he says it to the other guys. He's like, I don't know what that was. But Helen saw the whole thing. She just stood there. Yep. Um, the other cat, the Catwoman sneaks off, and then this is where um, 
the cat one of the other cat women like waves her hands over yeah. the fire and it magically goes out yes they shout looking for helen and they can't find her they decide to spread out and this is when they all get attacked by a group of cat women yes so at this point i'm like holy shit it's an entire planet full of debbie mazars Mm-hmm. And I've had this dream before. Yes. I got very excited. So they try to steal the gun from Kip, but they can't. And then... Um, I no, think it, you can't get Kip's gun. You can't. He's, He's going to shoot something. Pry that out of his gold, gold dead hands. He's taking a moon spider's life with this. Mm-hmm. Two of them. And I don't know how many bullets he's got left, but he's got to be careful because he lets one off when they're wrestling away, so... Yeah, I never really questioned the amount of ammunition that Kip carries. <laughs> uh, the men decide that they're going to wait there. Um, oh, so they, after the women attack, they get one of them, but then she blinks and disappears, okay. a la Bewitched. And she can do this anytime she wants, Yep. but there's so many occasions when it would be beneficial for her to do it. But she doesn't. No. Yep. So, But my question is, can all of them do it? Yes. Then why do they need... Okay, we'll get there. The why anything? I know. Yeah. So they decide to wait around on the terrace, wait uh, for Helen because she had disappeared during yeah. the fight, the altercation. Turns out she's off with um, our first, the, the three big bads. Mm-hmm. This is when we get to meet Alpha, and she welcomes Helen to the moon and introduces her to her sisters, Beta and Lambda. Yeah, this is my favorite sorority ever. So all of the women look like Debbie Mazar, mm-hmm. and they dress in cat suits all day long. I would pledge this for this, this, the yes. brother friend. So cue the exposition from Alpha. We learned that they're all telepathic. They speak all Earth languages. And quote, we have no use for men. They have no use for men. Uh, they're centuries older than humans. Which is confusing because there's a, there's, there's a lot of reproductive questions to ask about so this many. society. That, um, that physically just, they, they took out their men. And they don't have contact or control over men, which is why they focused on Helen. Yeah, so that's also weird. Also a little on the nose for anyone who doesn't know what Lambda is. Lambda is the um, Greek symbol that we use in physics for wavelength, which is why they're using it for this name, because they're telepathic. Thus, we have our alpha, our beta, and our wavelength. Right, alpha, beta, and, and... And and gamma. That's how the yeah. You're talking. That makes sense. I didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. I just thought they were doing it as a she is. You know, as just this sort of power dynamic. Because she's not gamma, and she's definitely no beta. But she is the alpha. No, lambda is the third. Alpha is the alpha. Yes, but there are also, if we're not mistaken, alpha waves and beta waves, mm-hmm. and it's all waves. Mm-hmm. But so it's very, um, you know greatly on the nose right here as we just lay everything out and we learn that they massacred their people in a planned mm-hmm. genocide to conserve energy to so save their their atmosphere race. was uh deteriorating so they had to go underground and mm-hmm. they could only have so many people so they just mass genocided most of them primarily the men yeah and they immediately learned that even this wasn't going to be enough it was only a matter of time well and i think i answered my own question the reproductive issue is that they that is what, why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because they they're need, going to use the men. They need the men to proliferate the species mm-hmm. at this point. And that's it. Right. So they uh, are making Helen one of them. And yep. they want to know the men's weaknesses because they plan to manipulate them. Um, they want to learn how to operate the ship so that they can take the 
uh, yeah, the so, spaceship back to Earth with Helen. Yeah, and and there's some really great stuff in here, particularly when the two when the two um, cat women say, "May we serve you, Earthmen?" Yeah, um, and then we have this. This is where we first start to see this relationship between Lambda and um, Doug. Yes, who which which is great. Honestly, the only two people in this movie who are genuinely good are Lambda and Doug. They're mm-hmm. the only good characters in this movie. Everyone else is some version of, of wrong. Even though they're like heroes. That's something I find interesting so much with these old B movies. It's like because of the Americanness of them yes. and the era. Like yes. the good guys are always super flawed and wrong. Mm-hmm. Like in in just if you look at it from a modern perspective, it's We're like, oh what you're people. doing is terrible. And usually xenophobic and usually just aggressive, mm-hmm. but you're the hero. Mm-hmm. So really the only good people in this movie are Doug and Lambda. And they have this really cute conversation where he's telling her about like all of these earth things that she wants to experience. Mm-hmm. Now, the only issue I had was that like she, how does this woman have any real like touch tones for romantic relations with another sex? Because yeah, she, that's a good question. Because, like, she wouldn't be... I don't know that she would be so horny for Doug, necessarily. I mean, maybe because she's never... She says she's never seen a man. But I think that this is more that it, like, she... Or she just is interested in told Earth. to flirt with him to, like, manipulate him and then kind of falls for him in the process. She accidentally starts feeling real feelings. Yeah, because she's curious. Well, yeah, and he's super nice mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and he's very, like... It's very sweet... Um, what, what I did think was really funny and weird is that she said, you're the first man I've ever seen. Ours died off when I was just a child. So she didn't Mm -hmm. see any men while she was a child. That's weird. Yeah, that was really weird. weird. And so, um, anyway, they're, they're having their conversation, but we cut back to alpha and she's asking all these detailed questions about this, how to fly the spaceship, particularly mm -hmm. the autopilot. Mm hmm. Um, she wants to learn how to get, um, under layered skin and she's trying to like get to him but it's not working so they call it yeah. a night and they plan to reconvene tomorrow and they're going to bring the space suits to um oblige kip because yeah because he sits in the corner like a weird cuck scenario and watches everybody sulking. else while he eats his rations well so all these women also, are walt walt is already getting into it walt's already sealing his own death certificate at this point he is so the men were about to leave when Helen comes back with all of the women mm-hmm. and they come in bearing fruit and food and wine. And, um, they, this is when they're trying, like they build the, the first contact. Yeah. This is where they, they, as they're about to go to bed, they essentially go, okay, hold on, hold on. What if we just sat around and, and ate? Mm-hmm. And at this point, Walt is shacking up with Theta, I believe is who that is. Walt is shacking up with Beta. Beta. And just so many yep. Greek, Greek. So Alpha is going things. after Laird. Um, Kip is sitting in the corner sulking. Um, Beta has Walt off to the corner. She's the worst of the whole bunch. Yes. And um, Lambda is talking to Doug. And there's this really sweet moment that you were about to touch on where Doug is telling her about life on earth and all she really decides she wants is a date with a coke she just wants a she coke. wants to lay on the beach and drink a coke she's a simple girl which is really funny to me it's really great there is Ugh. a very problematic moment right before that the um 
stressed me out a little bit. And I was like, whoa. What was that? Where Beta gives Walt a metal cuff and she refer and he immediately okay. refers to it as he a slave bracelet. He called, did, did he call it a slave bracelet? Yes. See, I thought, I didn't know if it was actually what he was calling it was a slave bracelet. Yeah. So it's he a did gold say cuff. That. She doesn't understand the value of gold because it's so common there. And this is her manipulating him uh-huh. of, oh, gold's nothing to us. Like, we've got a cave with more than, you can come back a hundred times and take back everything. And See, I rationalized that he said slate bracelet. Nope, nice try. And it's definitely a slave bracelet. Yeah, yep. so that that definitely so, derailed me a little bit. Yeah, he she's really bumped by the fact that he put so much value on gold. And but, says gold, but it's so common. And then he says one of my favorite things. He says, she, she goes, it's so common. It's just, you know, we have caves full of it. And he says, you mean it just hangs around loose? Yeah. She's like, we don't even bother digging it up anymore. He's just like, we got lo- you got loose gold? Yeah. So apparently the center of the moon has a world inside of it where well, that's true. gold is Hollow moon plentiful. Theory. Fucking YouTube it, Katie. Yeah. There's many documentaries out there. About how the moon's hollow and it's yeah. just a space station. Everyone knows Hello. this. Hello. Jeez, read an internet. Oh, so bad. So I love that Kip is still, you know, cucking in the corner and he <laughs> finishes his army ration because he refuses to indulge in the food that no, the women No, he's not going to eat their weird honeydew melons. He throws the wrapper on the ground. It's the 50s. Yep. And then this is where Alpha is so directly trying to learn how to drive, uh, I'm sorry, fly the ship from Laird. And then all he wants to know is how they disappear in a blink of an eye. And he, he wants to learn about them. And she's like, more wine. Let me, let me <laughs> yeah. top you off here, bro. Um, Doug goes on telling um, Lambda all about Earth. And... Um, they want to um, kind of reconvene because they want to, you know, keep them there as long as possible. They're trying to manipulate the guys. And some of them are, are falling for it. Some of them not so much. Yeah. So essentially at this point, they're trying to just, they're they're trying to be done for the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kip and Helen go off to. Uh, well, this is where Walt is missing. So Walt is missing, and he had wandered off with Beta, and um, yeah, Walt they goes, take off looking for him. Yeah, because they're going over to the spaceship to. Yep, he's going to give her everything she wants. The only one that cares, yes, because Walt is money hungry for the gold, and um, he's just like he's like, well, I don't, I don't understand. So he gives, um, he gives. Doug his gun mm-hmm. and Kip and Helen take off. Yes. And, and this we get is another where they one have... of those sexually tense scenes. And this one's more direct. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of grabbing. Like there's a lot of arm grabbing. Like it's a very weird thing. But we learn in this scene that Helen is really into Kip, not into Laird. Mm-hmm. And didn't ever want to be with Laird. Um, and it's just in the middle of the scene, she like declares her love for Kip, and Kip's like, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then weirdly tries to kiss her a lot. She's like, no, I don't want this. Well, but what happens is that in his grabbing of her, we learn that if he pinches her hand just right, he cuts off the, telep- uh, the telepathy. Right. And we really learn that more later, but it just happens in this scene. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh. I caught onto the, the grabbing oh, of the hand, because yeah. as soon as he lets go, it cha- she, she has a change. Right. And then whenever she lets go, she's back into 
to Lair. And she... And this isn't really spelled out well enough. I kind of wish they had... I mean, this, if we're nitpicking at this point, we're almost done with the movie at this point. But if we're nitpicking here, I mean... Well, she says still, that she's not... In, she comes out of it and says, she's, I'm not in control of myself. Right. But I just wish they had... It, it's the initial thing they did with her hand. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more... Like, more called into that before mm-hmm. we get to this point. Because mm-hmm. there's really not... And it just if somebody had like stepped on her hand and then she would, like, came out of it, something she would sit on her. It's hand been and come twenty. Out of it. It's been like twenty minutes since that happened, and it's not come up once. Yeah. Um. When he lets go, the circle reappears on her hand, and she loses control again. She flips on a dime, and she asks him not to tell Laird. She's right. going to tell Laird. And right here, at about forty-eight minutes, he refers to them as Catwomen. Yeah. It's the first time forty-eight minutes into an hour and thirty-minute movie they're referred to as Catwomen. And I think they just mean that because it's like they have cat eyes. Yeah, I think they have cat eyes. And they're wearing cat they're suits. They're a little like slinky. They're wearing cat suits and they have Vulcan eyebrows, but we don't know what Vulcan eyebrows are at this point in time. No. Because they're it's just like cat eyes and like yeah. catty eyebrows. And so I think he's just referring to him as that, as mm-hmm. just a thing to say. And it feels like that's yeah. where they got the whole movie name from. Yep. So this is where we have the weird women, the cat women are dancing in the courtyard. Yeah, man. This has a dance number in jumpsuits where everyone looks like Debbie Mazar. Mm-hmm. This movie has everything mm-hmm. I've ever wanted. <laughs> so the men are sleeping. Um, Shouts to Debbie Mazar. She had COVID. Oh, sad. Yeah. I hope she's doing she's all right. She's supposedly fine according to the internet, but she was a smoker mm-hmm. for like a bajillion years. So it's always when you see certain celebrities talk about getting it and you're like, oh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so I'm a little confused during this dance sequence why the torches are burning because they don't like they put the fire out before because they don't want to burn the oxygen in the atmosphere. It's like a really weird ritualistic thing that never yeah. really there's no real reason for this they ritual. They don't explain they it. They don't explain it at all. It makes no sense. Because they we they don't control the men, but somehow they want um I think it's Doug wakes up. Doug wakes up and goes in there and starts making out with uh they, uh, mm-hmm. Lambda. Mm-hmm. And they sneak off. They sneak off to have a Coke or. A- we assume, presume they're going to share a Coke or a milkshake. You know, it's a two straw situation. Um, <laughs> I Helen bet is- she's going to share a milkshake. <laughs> Helen is faking sleeping. Um, and really poorly, really poorly. She's so, got a faint arm up on her forehead. Yes. I, that's how I sleep. I sleep like a damsel. Yeah. Uh, Kip goes to investigate what is going on and Helen sneaks over to Walt and she starts reaching down towards him. It looks like she's going to get him. <laughs> like she wants to kill him. And we just cut away. Cause that doesn't matter. Um, Doug is investigating, um, Walt, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. Walt is investigating in the cave and a cat woman. Uh, He's investigating the gold yeah. with uh, Beta. She took him down to the cave right. to show him the gold. And uh, look out. That bites him in the back because Beta stabs him so slowly. So slowly. Like slow motion stabs him in the back of the shoulder, which always kills you every time. Every time. Um, Kip goes to investigate the big open valley. Yeah. So this is where the movie starts to get confusing because we are like, we maybe have like seven or eight minutes left in the whole movie at this Mm -hmm. point and everything starts happening. Everything happens all at once. So Doug and Lambda are making out and we got a real moon Romeo and moon Juliet. She wants to save him. It's so sweet. So she tells him all of what's going to happen and what they're trying to do. I love you, Doug. Yeah, I must kill you. Yeah, but she's, so she, Ooh, sorry. 
I just hit my microphone. Good job. So basically, she tells uh, she tells Doug everything that their their entire plan. Mm-hmm. They're going to be dead soon, and that their goal is to militarize mm-hmm. the Earth's women. Yep, and use the men as breeding yep. implements, eugenics. Okay, so that's the thing. So we have a movie with a eugenics like master race plot. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty clear America was still going through some post World War II shit. Yeah, we weren't over it yet. No. <laughs> um, they they continue kissing. He promises to come back for her. Right. Kip returns to Laird and Helen, and this is where Helen because is Helen all told over Kip Laird. because Helen told Kip to go find Doug because uh that because um Lambda was the worst of all of them. Yeah. But she's literally she's literally not. She's just lying. Um so uh Helen is dripping all over Laird and she wants Kip to go away. She says that everything that she told him on the terrace was a lie. Yes. She is out of her head, not herself right now. Um this is where we cut to Alpha who is controlling Helen via tele uh, right. Via her mind. Yeah. Um, and Beta is just like standing there, like supporting her. And this is where Lambda has a confrontation with her. Yes. She tries to convince Alpha to take one of the men back. Yep. And they aren't having it. Um, she basically tells her to fuck off. It's clear that Lambda has fallen for Doug. Right. And they plan to continue without her. And she teleports again. Yep. But so. They they need to go get the spacesuits so they can then go back to the spaceship and then take it from them and mm-hmm. take the men back with take you know because even the though they've been on this moon for a long time they don't have a way to traverse its surface either. But why can't she just teleport to the spaceship? Good. Explain question. the teleport thing. Maybe they, they can't don't even tele- need. Maybe the they s- have to teleport through air. They need oxygen to teleport. I guess that's a good conductive. way for using this is Katie's logic corner. Um, well, I mean, we have it in every their movie. own logic but corner. My, but that is my question: is why do they even need the spacesuits? Is is Lambda the only one who can teleport? Because no one else does it except for her. I have no idea. It's really it does confusing. Does not make any sense. Um, so we cut back to Kip and um, to Kip and Helen and uh, yep. Laird. And Doug at this comes point, to confront them. Right, and at this point, we have. Uh, the, everyone knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. We find out that all the stuff. We find out that Helen is actually into Kip because he squeezes her the spot in her hand, mm-hmm. and it acts like a truth serum. Yes, and it lets her like release, and she's like, "No, I was never into Laird, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." At which point, like, so when they're breaking down all of the stuff, Kip is really just concerned about his relationship goals with Helen. At Priorities, this point. and I don't understand why he's so. They've been told the whole problem. Mm-hmm. All Kip wants to now talk about his relationship goals with Helen. Mm-hmm. And then Laird is so mad about specifically the relationship with Helen. And he's, he's so guy. mad at Kip. Mm-hmm. They're wasting so much time. They get in a fist fight. A pissing contest. Laird punches Kip. They brawl. There's four minutes left in this movie. Priorities, though. It has nothing to do with the even plot. Even though Kip knows that Helen is under hypnosis... He just lets go, starts fighting with Starts Laird. wailing on Kip. So she's out of control again, and she runs off. Yes. She's gone. Helen slips back to Alpha's control. And this is where Lambda comes to Doug and tells the men that Helen, Alpha, and Beta are on their way to the ship. Yep. They took two of the suits. Yep. Um, Lambda and has the idea that they're going to go, um, that she's... You know, just trying. She feels bad. Clearly, she's trying to help the guys at this. Yeah, point. because she's she she's wants to help over Doug. It, right. Um, 
Kip and Doug take off to get the suits from Landa, and then they go to chase Helen, Alpha, and Beta. And then Lambda teleports yep. to right in front of them. Tries to slow the girls down. Tries to slow them down. And then one crazy bitch pick up a rock and slammed Beta in there. I literally wrote down, slammed she her in the head. Her in with the head. It, and she just fucking dies. Yep, she is done. It only takes one big old knock with a rock to the head. That's, you're a goner. And listen to me, you guys. This all happens over the course of about... Like from the time uh, Lambda tells Doug mm-hmm. the like the whole plot, mm-hmm. and Doug goes to save everybody, and then they leave to try and go to the spaceship. All of this stuff we're talking about happens over the course of ninety seconds, yeah, of real time. Maybe so. Like from the time that she professes her love, love to Doug mm-hmm. and tries to save everybody, she gets bashed in the head with a rock and mm-hmm. dies unceremoniously. Yep. And then the girls just take off, and then immediately the men run in. They run in, and then my favorite part is as the 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 cat women run off screen. Mm-hmm. The men run in. Doug swoops up um, Lambda and starts, mm-hmm. you know, like crying over Lambda. Mm-hmm. And then Kip comes in, literally tells them to stop, shoots them off screen, mm-hmm. and says they're dead. Yep, Doug. So the cat women are dead. All Helen is all right. Our bad guys die off screen. Mm-hmm. Our hero kills them off screen. The one, uh, our hero uh, woman of the bad guys, who's never done anything bad in this whole movie, dies. Mm-hmm. on screen mm-hmm. they all get back on the spaceship everybody's fine mm-hmm. everything's back to normal Laird is comforting Doug from a broken heart he radios back to earth not to freak out but they're headed back they want to know what happened and Doug says it's a long story credits not even credits cut to black mm-hmm. so the end of this movie the Shot last the rocket going through space and the I just can't believe they killed the bad guys off screen and so everyone is just dead and they just leave. Yeah, that's it. And they left Walt's body. Yeah. They had no regard to go find the body of, a, of somebody they're probably going to need to take back. No, they got to get out of there because what if the rest of the Catwomen decide... What Catwomen? I know. There was, they only showed us like five of them. And I then know. in one scene there was a bunch of them and then they never show up again. Nope. All never. in all, I enjoyed this movie from a standpoint of like kitsch mm-hmm. and fun mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not a good movie but it's not a bad movie it was an hour of my life it it was no it wasn't that bad i got a kick out of it yeah i thought it, I, I had a good time with it um which i do with a lot of these it's my vibe you know mm-hmm. I, I like all of a lot of these b movies it, it's it's a fun vibe for me um but this there was like particularly weird things going on in this this movie could have actually benefited from being longer it could have like at 63 minutes it is a difficult like storytelling time frame to tell what they're trying to tell the way they're trying to tell it it is and it it, it would have benefited a little bit more of show me don't tell me 100% and uh, um a part of it's the time period yeah. they were in a rush making it you know this was fairly low budget yep um it's you know, it's a good 64 minutes of uh, women in cat suits. I can't complain. I mean, well, it's about 30 minutes of women in cat suits. True. So the problem is that like the the act structure is not, is dictated by the length in this movie. Yeah, it's like imagine getting a Neapolitan ice cream and it's 80% vanilla. Yep. 15% 10% strawberry. 15% strawberry. And 5% chocolate. Yes. 
Yeah. That's the acts one, two, and three. Yeah. So that's that's the difficulty with this movie. Mm-hmm. It, and, but at no point does it feel slow, really, which is weird. Which is weird. Aside from the few moments where we get to watch them coming down the spaceship or walking. Um, the, the clearly padded scenes to give it an actual feature runtime. Yeah. and Because uh, you know this script was like 40, 40 pages, pages. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, you get a little bit of a hero cycle. You get a beginning, yeah. middle, and end. You get everything you need to tell a story, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's the pacing of that storytelling is off. The movie, the film pacing is Sure. Fine. So when would you watch this? And when would you bring this to me in our relationship to like, um, watch? Do you want to rate it first? Sure. Let's I mean, rate it first. What do you, I give the, what do you, how many cat women okay. do you give this? On a scale of, I tell you what, on a scale of Debbie Mazars in a cat suit, mm. Mm. I give this, right higher. I give this, <laughs> I give this movie five stars. Wow. Five Debbie Mazars in a cat suit. Okay. Out of 10. I was going to give it four. I didn't think it was that bad. I just think, I thought it was enjoyable. I, I had a good time watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're probably right. But I'm going to give it five for the cat suits. I get it. Now, okay, at what point in a relationship would you show this movie to a significant other? I feel like I would do it pretty early because I need to know how they feel about women in cat suits. (laughs) Honestly, this is a good one. This is a good early on, like, fun little thing to pop on because it's not... It's not super boring. This is a good one to put on while, like, to get a vibe while you're, like, eating a meal or something. Mm-hmm. Really early if you're, like, maybe the first time they come over to your house to, like, hang out. Like, right. it's just a fun little, like, or this, is, this like, is B-movie B movie camp. Yep. Uh, it, it shows a lot of, um, if you can talk about it and sort of lampoon the idea of some of this chauvinism and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really fun conversation for your, in, in all seriousness, a really fun conversation to have early on. It is. And it, it sort of forces you to talk about, uh, like, gender roles. A little bit, yeah. And I think that's... In a safe environment. Absolutely. You know, through the lens of the 50s in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's it can be a very safe environment, building a relationship. It can also cause a hell of an argument if you are the guy and don't choose your words very carefully. Absolutely. Which kind of makes me... I was going to say, especially given the length, this is a great, like, post-late dinner. So, like, you want to put something on, but you don't want to commit to a full, like, 90-minute movie. You really don't want to go for, like, a three-hour movie. Right. You just need something to put on while you're winding down. It's a long TV show. Yeah. You know? It's a special. But it's there's the fun of a special. There's fun stuff in this movie. Yeah. It's it's not unenjoyable. I mean, like, we rated it right in the middle, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it is. It is. If you were to... Um, I think you could get away with this at any point during a relationship. It's fun. It's not... It's if it's not colorful because of the black and white. It's kind of super weird and wacky because there's not as much spacey stuff in it as you'd like necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really a lot of like they shoehorned in those moon spiders just to have something scary in it. Some giant because there's nothing scary in it. Nope. Um, and this is considered a sci-fi adventure. It's sort of technically, yeah, and it's got that whole. It's sort of dystopian in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's this it deals with these bigger concepts 
And I think it deals, in, in some ways it deals with concepts it's not ready to deal with yet. Yes. And in some ways it feels like a precursor to Star Trek's Next Generation because of the origin story of meeting these alien creatures that aren't quite that just deals with Star Trek us. and like first contact in general. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's, a it's always a good allegory to see what would happen if our culture was, you know, under different circumstances. Yeah. But also you're viewing it from a perspective, you're viewing it from a rational perspective. And one thing that is interesting about this is it's also part of the whole, like, well, this is the first contact we're having with an alien species and the first thing, and they're bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're from another place. They're definitely evil. And all we want to do is kill it and by the end we kill it and go away Mm -hmm. so like it is still that xenophobic idea that the other is bad Mm -hmm. you know no matter what the this mysterious these mysterious moon heathens of course it is and that's one of the things that comes through a lot of these movies Mm -hmm. you know um and it's man what's the fresh off of world war ii it's not that Night Beast movie. What is it? There's a couple of these, like in the Corman sphere, where it'll be like, um, you know, Alien comes to Earth. It's like Alien comes to Earth. Alien is always bad. But before Alien does anything bad necessarily, we're ready to kill it. Mm-hmm. And all we want to do is kill it. But we're ready. Yes. It's a very American ideal of like, and in some ways a very human ideal, but mostly a very American ideal of like, the other and the different is bad and it should be. It shouldn't be allowed to be. Well, and it's kind of the the first human lesson we have to learn is sure. that, you know, um, I need, but then the second is you also need. Sure. And it's learning that the other is not bad. And that's difficult for some people. And it's interesting how they portray it. Because what, what's really fascinating to me is that you're viewing it from that standpoint of like, oh, it creates this conversation about like, what is this? What is that? Mm-hmm. But that was not their intention at all. No, they did not mean to start. It's a me versus us conversation. Yes. this these And, and what's fascinating is none of these movies meant to start that conversation. But a lot of these movies are great to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because particularly in this one. It's not like they're ready to kill them immediately, but they do They do become bad guys. They do end up killing them. Um, you see it with the spiders and Kip, where mm-hmm. Kip is the rightest right in this movie, mm-hmm. um, but he is... He's our Navy But vet. he's also a dickhead. Yes. So that's, that's the difficulty of heroes. He with his whole heart and would follow you to the moon and back. 100%, but he also doesn't want his daughter dating a dark person. No. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the vibes that he is, mm-hmm. but that's the era that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So, it is interesting that it does create such a, a thing, but in this movie in particular, like I was saying, it 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 takes a while. They do give them a benefit of conversation. Yeah. They give them the benefit of like feeling them out. Everyone but Kip. Kip is even though we're supposed to think that Kip is the is the lead, the he- Even real hero, he was right, which sucks. Yes, he he was. The problem is that he thought he was right before anyone else thought he was right, mm-hmm. and that seemed wrong. And then it turned out he was right. Mm-hmm. So it does like it is that weird kind of it, it totes a line. It skirts mm-hmm. a line. So it is a very interesting timepiece. It is. You know? It's a good time capsule. Um, in a, a snapshot of where we were in society. Um, well, and we haven't gone well, that 70 far. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't gone as far as we thought we would. But there are ebbs and flows. 
Absolutely. And I think that we're on the the cusp of a wave where we're going to have some big changes. Hopefully. Um, yeah. After this quarantine. <laughs> Quarantines. Quarantines mm-hmm. day. Well, if you have any um, thoughts on anything that we do, any movies we do, any movies you want to see, if you have questions, uh, relationship questions, if you want some advice about how to deal with your significant other and B-movies, genre movies, and the like, you can shoot us a line at b.trothed at gmail.com. That's b.trothed at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at betrothedpod and on Twitter at betrothed. Uh, you can follow me at I am Chris Hayden. I am at Katie May 2K on all the things. Yep, on all the things. And, um, and please like, comment, subscribe, you know, leave us a review. Uh, it helps other people find the show, and it helps us grow the show, and we just want to get some of these more obscure movies out there to uh, a broader audience, you know? Exactly. And get some other couples interested in some, some in watching some weird shit. Uh, you know, it's, we talk about that a lot, but it's so true. I've been in a lot of relationships where it's like, I'm into all these weird movies, and the other person like either just can't deal with it mm-hmm. or is not it's interested like, and that's fine if you're not interested, but like there's this can't deal with it kind of thing, you yeah. know, where it's like you... you they don't want to really accept those things that you're into mm-hmm. and they're super harmless. Cause like, right. this is such a harmless medium of like weird shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about with this is, is, is that is such a, it, it is, there is a lot of fun to be found in it, there you is. know? And, and there is a, um, conversation, there are conversations to be had and there are parallels. Absolutely. Um, to your relationship and to the, you know, to just communication in a lot of these movies Mm -hmm. and with any type of movie, actually, it's a really good way to start a conversation with somebody who maybe even like you guys, what's interesting about us sitting down talking about this stuff is that we don't always have conversations like this. No, we've been together for over like 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, we talk about everything, Mm -hmm. but we don't always sit down and like analyze a movie, No, you know, and really talk about it through that sort of lens. Right. It's more of the ebbs and flows of life as opposed to digging into a specific topic. And it's really interesting for us. And we hope that you guys can um, translate that to your relationships too. I love it. And so, uh, yeah, shoot us a line. Let us know. With that. Until next week. Fuck off and die. Fuck off and die. Except for not of COVID. Yeah.